echo what, what uh, Pastor Josh was just sharing there. Um, lots of opportunity to serve in ministry. Um, if you want to serve with our children, there are some qualifications that you need to meet. There's uh, training and a background check and so forth that you need to go through. Uh, it's, it's fairly uh, simple, um, and, but we do, want to, we do want to make sure that everybody's kids are protected. And so, um, so if that would be uh, an interest in, in your ministry, um, certainly an opportunity to serve there. Uh, you know, back in 2004, the country singer Tim McGraw uh, had a hit song, uh, won the Grammy Award that year for Best Country Song. Uh, and the song is Live Like Man. If you listen to country radio at all, because uh, it's still on. Uh, but it tells the story of a between friends, one of whom was dying with cancer and wasn't sure that he would make it. And so presumably in between rounds of chemo and treatment, he started to the things he'd been taking off. And uh, I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I looked deeper and I spoke and I gave forgiveness I'd been denied. From his friend, talk about how he'd finally become the, the friend that he wanted to be, and how he finally read his Bible. But especially if you're going to meet the, meet the author uh, real soon on that, right? Um, it's a good song, it has a good message, it reminds us that we don't have forever to do the things that are right and that are good and that are fun, and so we need to live each day as if it's But I will say this, uh, the ordinary life that most of us live will probably not include very many bull rides. I, mean, I still think that would be fun. <laughs> go to the Mesquite Rodeo when we live down there, and in, in, uh, uh, it's on the the uh, other end of Dallas, Fort Worth, from where we live. Uh, but we'd go to the Mesquite Rodeo in our park watching some guy come tearing out of the chute with one hand uh, hanging to the back of that bull, right? I think that looks... I want to try it, right? Uh, but most people's life, my life, probably not going to include that. Um, probably not ever going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Foolish and not very fun. Um, but... But most people's ordinary life consists of a lot of diapers. In fact, there's about 3,000 diapers in every kit. I don't know if you know that. That's an average. Some higher, some less, right? Um, you know, some of ours, I, I'm convinced we needed to put two. You know, it was incredible. Climbing aboard a rank bull, and uh, you know, boiling out of the chute to see how long you can hang on. Right? 
every life is going to have a lot of stuff that just looks like life. It's just ordinary. It's just, well, I went to work today. I was there. I home. I got my oil chain. I cut the grass. By the way, what was that stuff falling out of the sky today? Anybody know? It's been so long since I've seen it, I forgot what it's called. Um, but, you know, when it rains, you right? A lot of life is just ordinary stuff. So, how do you, how do you live the Christian life when it just looks like ordinary life? Because that's what most of us are going to experience, right? It isn't going to necessarily be exciting on very many of the days. But it is going to involve a whole lot of being a good husband, a good wife, a good friend, a good parent, a good employee. How do we be steadfast? Well, it so happens that the subject of our passage today as we wrap up the book of 2 Thessalonians is exactly that. Being steadfast in ordinary life. So if you and you have your Bible open of Second Thessalonians. Encourage you to stand if you're able and follow along as I read verses six through the end of the chapter. Away from any that you yourself how. Self, an example to imitate. Give you this command. Anyone is not willing to work, let him. For we hear that you walk in idle. Now, in Sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank All right, is that better? No? All right. 
How about now? We got sound? All right, we're cool. Okay, well, uh, in, in verse 6, uh, verse 6 through 12, the biggest section of the text here uh, is about being steadfast and working hard. Um, before we get into that directly, I want to back up for you to verse 5 and show you the context, okay? If you look at verse 5, what you'll see there, it says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Do you see that? And we talked about that last week, and one of the things we talked about is the fact that, that the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ are two ways of talking about the same characteristic of God. That Christ is always steadfast in His love for you. That He never gives up on you. That he never walks away from you. He never washes his hands of you. Decides he's had enough. Uh, he is always, always, always pursuing you, loving you, and and in covenant love with you. And uh, and the love of God is is identical to that, right? It is his steadfast love for you that keeps you in relationship with God. Praise God, it is not dependent on me and faithfulness that I am going to heaven. Amen? If it were dependent on me and my faithfulness, uh, uh, I'm fairly certain that I would not make it, and neither would you. In fact, I know for sure that none of us would. But it is because of the steadfast love of Christ for us, which perseveres despite our sin, that we are saved. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saves. Amen? And, and so, it's, so, so then, what you need to understand about the Scriptures and about this Scripture in particular is, is how these two things are related. He's about to give you some commands in uh, verse 6 through 12, but how does that relate to verse 5? Well, in precisely this way. It is in light of the Gospel in light of the fact that Christ has been steadfast in His love for you, that you then reciprocate His love for you in how you live. By the way, most of the New Testament works exactly this way. As you read the letters that Paul writes to various churches, you'll have this, they'll all begin with this, this wonderful section of theology and this deep, explanation of the gospel you know like in Romans you get 11 chapters of explanation of the gospel 11 chapters and then it transitions verse uh, chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 therefore in view of God's mercy chapter 1 through 11 present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual act of worship in other words this is how you respond to the gospel by which you've been saved. You feel me? This is the same way. That in light of the fact that God is steadfast in His love for you and that He never gives up on you, you, therefore, be steadfast in hard work. And working hard. Uh, so this is, the, this is the context here. 
Uh, since God loves you with an unstoppable, never-ending, persevering love, you and I ought to respond with persevering love for God and His people. And how that looks is this. That you continue to work hard at your job. Now, how many of you thought before you got here today that your job and the gospel had anything whatsoever to do with one another? Right? Uh, they do. They are intimately tied together. And how you work at your job reflects what you believe about God. And so Paul says, in light of the steadfastness of Christ, you work hard. And in fact, he says, uh, keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you received from us. In other words, what we taught you and what we showed you with our life. If somebody doesn't do that, you keep away from him. Walking in idleness is an idiomatic expression. You'll see this, um, this phrase, uh, this idea of walking in, uh, in a lot of places in Scripture, right? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That kind of idea, right? Uh, we don't want to walk in sin, according to 1 John. We want to instead walk in holiness or Walk in the light as He is in the light, etc. Right? Um, so walking in idleness is the idea of describing a person who is working far less than he or she should or even needs to in order to provide for the needs uh, of his, his own life or those of his family. And that's not the tradition that they were given. In other words, that's not the teaching we gave you according to the Scriptures. And it's not the example that we follow. When the apostles were among you, we were there with you. We didn't teach that laziness was okay, and laziness is not the example that we set. On the contrary, verses 7 and 8 say uh, that they were hands in addition to doing the ministry because they wanted to set an example of Christian conduct for them. So, um, for example, they never allowed any of the Thessalonian believers to pay for any of their meals. Do you see that? We never ate anyone's bread without paying for it. Now, I, I actually had a, a conversation with a couple of pastors that I know uh, this week, and um, one of the things that came up, actually, because we talk about stuff, uh, was this passage, right? And I was once, I shared the story that I was once uh, invited out to lunch with a guy uh, and uh, and the and the guy was actually very well healed, uh, made lots of money, and um, but he and he invited me out to lunch, wanted to talk to me about some things at church and so forth. And so my thought was, well, since this guy is a multimillionaire, and at the time I was the associate pastor of a of a church that didn't uh, treat its pastors with as much generosity as we do here. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought, well, he's surely going to buy me lunch, right? No, no. Uh, he forgot his wallet. Okay. And when I got to church on Sunday morning, somebody said, hey, I, I heard you had lunch with so-and-so. I said, yes, I did. He said, did he forget his wallet again? Apparently this was a thing, right? Uh, this is not... The kind of thing that endears you to people, right? That you go out to lunch forever and you're always the guy who forgets their wallet. Uh, that's, not, that's not 
a good thing, right? That's not a good example of Christian character. And even though the apostles, Paul makes it clear here, we as apostles had the right to be supported by the people we were ministering to, but we didn't exercise that right. Now later on, Paul's going to talk about this church and these people in letters to other churches. He's going to talk about how these folks were very generous in supporting them when they ministered somewhere else. But while they were there, what did Paul and the apostles do? They worked. They worked hard at a manual labor trade. They made tents in, in specific, okay, um, where they're, they're sewing these big pieces of, of fabric by hand, making tents. And, and it's a hard job. And they would work th that job and then go and do ministry. Now, was it wrong to, to solicit support? No, Paul makes it clear. We had the right to do that. It's fine if you, if you uh, support people, but they wanted to set an example. And the example was more important than exercising their rights. And so he said, look, we're going to work hard and we're going to show you that the gospel transforms people's lives and forbids laziness and creates hardworking people. And because of that example, and based on God's love for us, they further explain what they mean by keeping away from people who are walking in idleness. He says, verse 10 says, Christian community should have this simple rule. Anybody who's not willing to work, let them not eat. Does that strike anybody else? But the idea is this, is that work and food are tied together because the ability to, to eat is dependent on somebody working. Right? If you want to eat, you've got to work. Laziness is a serious spiritual immaturity. And it cannot be encouraged or enabled if we want people to grow and see the connection between work and providing for their own needs. And so verse 11 is just giving a reason why the apostles are addressing the issue, which is that apparently within the church of Thessalonica, there are some lazy people who are saying, well, you know, we're all part of the community here, so y'all should just feed me. No, Paul says. If you're not willing to work, you don't eat. That simple. Um, we command and encourage such persons in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. That's what the scripture says. Right? Earn your own way. If you're able-bodied, you got no excuse. This is part of putting your faith into practice in the daily grind. Christians work and they work hard to provide for themselves and their families' needs. Now, that does not mean, by the way, there's no place for helping each other. Amen? That's not that's not the issue being addressed. It's not, not saying it's absolutely wrong to help anybody who's in need. That's not what this is about at all. This is about someone who is just shiftless and lazy and says, I should get to be like a baby bird. And everybody else just kind of dropped the worms that they go get into my mouth. Right? That's not okay. Within the context of Christian community, if you're a Christian, you act like it. And part of the way you act like it is by working hard to provide for you and your family. 
right? Uh, Paul underlines this elsewhere to Timothy when he says, if anyone will not provide for his own family's needs, he's denied the faith. Right? Um, this is a serious thing. Um, life and you know, life happens, passion for one another in tough times is a virtue to cultivate in practice, but it does mean that hard work is a good thing and is something we should all be engaged in to the extent that we're able. Related to that, verse 13 to 15 tells us to be steadfast in doing good deeds. Verse 13 says, do not grow weary in doing good. Now in the specific context here, I think that's probably the idea that those who are already working hard shouldn't stop. But I think it applies to both work in general and, uh, I mean, work as such and ministry in general. Don't give up doing good simply because you've been at it a while. How you finish is as much, if not more important, than how you started. Amen? And it matters... Uh, and it applies no matter what age we attain to. If God so blesses so that you can retire from your paid job, wonderful. But remember, retirement from paid work is not retirement from life. And it is definitely not retirement from serving the Lord. Amen? We who love Jesus... Do not tap out of serving Him. And just say, you know, hey, uh, all you young people, I've done my bit. I got, you know, I got weed eating to do at my house, and I'm just not going to do anything in terms of ministry anymore. There's no place for that in Christian community. Our attitude is supposed to be like Caleb who at 85 years old said, give me the hill country with the giants because I want my inheritance from the Lord. Right? We serve all the way until we die or Jesus comes and gets us, whichever happens first. We serve the Lord. We don't grow weary in doing good. You gave your life to Christ, not the younger years of it. Amen? Your life. Um... So, we're all called to a lifetime of serving the Lord. By the way, let me just say this. I'm not scolding anybody here, okay? We have some great and wonderful people in our church who have served the Lord faithfully and still do for many, 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 many years. And so I'm not scolding anybody. I don't have anybody in mind on that. I'm just encouraging you based on the text not to give up. Don't give up. We don't tap out. Not until Jesus comes and gets us. Alright? Don't grow weary in doing good deeds. Uh, verses 14 and 15 tell us what to do if somebody rejects this counsel. And the consequences are stern. The other members of the church are to pull back from them in relationship. This is probably what this is probably talking about is what, what uh, it, Jesus describes in Matthew 18 as a church discipline process. Somebody is warned against laziness. What will happen if nothing changes, which is that they won't be allowed to be a member in the community anymore, but will be publicly disfellowshipped. Now this is a serious discipline. Because think about, think about this little Thessalonian church. 
These are a group of people who are a tiny minority surrounded by a hostile culture of people who hate them. And it isn't like you can just go to another church down the street. This is the church. And so if you are put out of this one, you are put out of the church, period. And the idea behind that is not to harm people, but to help them to attain spiritual maturity. The goal is that the person experiences the hopefully temporary pain of being corrected by the church and then repenting of laziness and working to earn their own living at which point fellowship is restored with an erring brother. At no point should the sinful person, look at verse 15, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. In other words, this is, this is someone we love. This is someone who's part of the family. But we're exhorting this erring brother to do the right thing. you gotta, you, you still got to be faithful, brother. Come on. Come with me. Now, uh, that's that's the idea. So, in other words, is laziness a big deal? Yes. Do you have any excuse to be lazy? No. Do you need to work hard? Yes. Is it a gospel issue? Yes. So there's no place, here I want to speak to some of you younger ones, if you're thinking you're going to live in your parents' basement until you are 30, don't you do it. Okay? Your Bible would say, get a job. Move out. Get off the dole. at <laughs> Okay? Be responsible. Be an adult. Walk in maturity in Christ. Okay? Part of growing up, part of being a mature, not only adult, but a maturing Christian, is working hard to provide for yourself. All right? Uh, now, I doubt very many of us remember it, but back at the beginning of this book, the apostles greet the church with grace and peace. And here at the end, they. Flip that around and they conclude with peace and grace, reminding them that the Lord is with them at all times and in all circumstances. Look at look at verse 16. It's so beautiful how the Lord is described. The Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. In other words, this is a blessing that's being pronounced by the apostles on this group of people. But he's saying, he's reminding them, even as he's blessing them with that prayer, that the Lord is with them. And He is the one who grants peace. In the middle, in the middle there, the next verse, verse 17, is a reminder that this is the authentic Word of God coming through His apostle. Paul could not see very well. And he wasn't trained as a scribe, so his handwriting was big and it was distinctive. You could tell that this was different than everything else that had been written up to now. He'd had somebody else, probably Silas, uh, write the rest of it. But at the end, he kind of puts his little signature in. This is how I write. 
it served to authenticate the letter as really being from him. And we should take some comfort in that even for us today because we are studying, men and women, God's authentic word which came to us through the apostles and the prophets. It's the real deal. Genuine article. It wasn't, it wasn't that we made it up. It wasn't that some church council got together and decided this book is in and this book is out. It's that that church council, when they gathered, recognized God's Word as being what it is. If you want to get into the details and history on that, Pastor Josh would love to educate you on it. Okay? He loves church history. He probably knows all the details better than I But the reality is that just like when your father called you on the phone, you know his voice. When you read the Word of God, as you read it, you come to a point where you recognize your father's voice speaking to you from the page. Amen? And that's, that is much more like how the Scriptures were gathered and regularized and identified, was that they could hear the father's voice in the books that are here. And this is the authentic Word of God. And because of that, we have confidence that as we follow it, that this is the Word from our Father that came to us through the Son uh, and is empowered by His Spirit to transform our lives. And Paul is reassuring them, look, this is really from me. This is a true Word from God. And you can trust it. You can follow it. You can obey it. You can have your life shaped by it. And it will glorify God if you do. And then we have this last verse, which is very good. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Honestly, there's no better reminder for all of us. Because men and women, life is hard. It is probably not as hard for most of us on an average day as it was for this tiny little church in Thessalonica, this persecuted little group of people. But that does not mean that life is easy. If you live long enough, then sickness and sin and death will be features of your life. Because there are features of life in a fallen world and that means that life is hard and it's often painful. But the Lord is with you. He is with you to grant you peace because of the sacrifice of His Son on the cross which cancels out your sin and one day will cancel out and reverse your death. And will bring sickness and pain and difficulty all to an end. And because of Him, you have peace in all circumstances. Amen? Even if the world is blowing a thousand miles an hour around you, you have peace in the middle of the storm because the Lord is with you. And He is the Lord of peace. And in addition to that, his grace is with you in every circumstance, in every moment of every day. One of the best promises we were ever given 
is the one that concludes the, the book of Matthew. Most people remember the Great Commission that, that concludes the book of Matthew. It says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? Amen. We should do that. In fact, somebody should make that the mission statement of their church. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we do that, right? But here's the best part. Not just the mission, but who goes with us as we go. And lo, I am with you. And the Greek text says it this way. Every day. Until the end of the age. Every day. Someday you'll get diagnosed with something and you'll wonder, Lord, are you with me today? What's the word say? Every day. Someday you'll find out that a loved one has passed away and you'll wonder, Lord, are you with me today? Yep. Every day. You might be betrayed or hurt or bankrupted or have any number of horrible other things happen to you and you'll be in deep pain and you will scream out at your Father, are you with me today? And you need to know, Jesus said, every day. Every day He's with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you all. And always. Amen? All of us. Every single person who believes in Jesus always has the grace of the Lord's presence with us in every single one of those days until He comes. If you look at your outline on the back of your bulletin, you'll see that the little graphic at the top that we've been using Thank you, Nicole, for putting that together. Um, and uh, it says, until Jesus returns. Right? How are we supposed to live life until Jesus returns? We're to be steadfast and working hard at our job, whatever it is. If you're a student, don't be a slacker. If you're if you have a if you're an adult and you're and you and you have a job, don't be the least accomplished member of your team, right? Work hard, do your job well, honor the Lord with your labor. If you're a mom and you get to stay home and disciple your children and you have that magnificent task of raising them up to know the Lord uh, in partnership with your husband, glorify God in that. By all means, do that. Amen? But be faithful in that task. Even when it's hard, even when it's surgery, even when you're on the 15th diaper today and you've had to bathe the kid. The kid slams the door in your face. If you're a dad, step into that role. Don't grow weary in doing good. Be faithful. 
Because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you in that day, in that moment. Be steadfast in doing good and serving the Lord until He comes. Until Jesus comes back to get us, be faithful and walk. Empowered by the grace of the Lord Jesus, be at peace. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise You endlessly. And we have endless reason because You have given us such great and precious promises which are fulfilled for us in Christ. Father, we rejoice in the fact that Your love for us never ceases. That Your mercies never come to an end, but they are new every morning. And You give us new mercy, new grace, new peace every day as soon as we open our eyes and we say, it's morning, help me get through the day, you are right there. And when we lay ourselves down at night and we pray and we entrust ourselves to you and we, we ask for you to give us peace and rest, Father, we know that you are there keeping the night watch and helping us to be at peace in the night. Father, help us to be faithful to You. Help us to, to keep singing every single day until Jesus comes for us or we go home to You. And in Your grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.